Good morning. Uh, let's pray before we start out this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, and we thank you for your grace. Lord, I ask right now that you would uh, let your Holy Spirit be very present in this place. Lord, that you would uh, just make your, uh, your presence very heavy here, that we are able to, to feel your presence and your blessing as we point towards you, as we point towards the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection and the life that we now have in Christ. Lord, we are thankful for uh, not just the, the gathering of believers here at this place, but the gathering of believers all over the world. And in particular, Lord, we are grateful uh, for the church here in Kerrville, for the many people who bow their knee this morning to Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would be with the First Christian Church and their pastor, Josh DeStagger. Lord, we ask that you would bless them this morning as he brings the word and that they would be moved and changed because of your Holy Spirit and the power that they would be witnesses to you throughout this city. And Lord, we ask the same for us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So we have been uh, in, in a time of visioning our church, and we're trying to decide what that looks like for us to be the church. And we've been in Acts because Acts is believers of Jesus and witnesses of the crucifixion and of the resurrection. And then Jesus says, okay, I want you to go be my church. And they're going, okay, what does that look like? What does it mean to go be the church? And we still have that question today. What does it mean for us to be the church in this day, in this time, in this city? And so with that, we're asking, and we're going to have another little opportunity today. You've seen the cards that are there. You'll get the opportunity to write on those and uh, give some input today. But we're going to continue asking uh, people what it looks like for us to be Christ in this city. With that, we've been in Acts uh, 1.8. And we, it's a little short scripture, but we've been going through it a few weeks. If you could pull that one up for me, guys. Uh, Acts 1.8 says... But you will receive power. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If y'all would leave that one up for just a few minutes, that would be good. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because we started on this last week. And one of the things that we did was we took that and we married it to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is our assignment. It's what he gave his disciples and it's still the assignment that we have. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. We're, we are the people who have been given that assignment. This scripture is kind of how to go about it. That's what we're supposed to do, and it's a huge assignment. It's massive. And here's how he says to go about it. You start in Jerusalem and Judea, and you go to Samaria, and you go to the ends of the earth. Last week, we talked about Jerusalem and Judea. Jerusalem and Judea was their home. So for the most part, he's talking about the way that you start this, the way that you start being my witnesses, the way that you be church, is you start with the people right next to you. You start where you are. That means with our kids. That means with our children. That means in your family. That means with one another. That means with the people that you have in your sphere of influence, at your job and your neighbors, to be looking right then and going, how do I bear witness to what God has done with the people that are closest to me and around me? And that's Jerusalem and Judea. Then the end is also kind of a geographical location because it says to the ends of the earth. So in other words, it's going to spread. Here's how I want you to do this. I want you to start here, and I want you to spread it throughout the whole world. And next week, we're going to be talking about the ends of the earth, which is great because we have uh, some of our missionaries that will be visiting with us, the dies, and they will be able to come up and share with you how they're being witnesses and they're making witnesses in Brazil. So we'll be able to talk about the ends of the earth. So you got start right here, Jerusalem and Judea, and then you have go to the ends of the earth, which is as far away as you can get. They're both geographical locations, 
But in between that, he says, I want you to go to Samaria. Now, Samaria is different. It's a different thing. And I don't think he mentioned it in such a way to go, it's just geographical concentric circles. In other words, start in Kerrville, go to Texas, go to the United States, and then go to the ends of the earth. It's not just geographical. Samaria is a very different thing. One of the reasons is because of the issues that the Jews have with the Samaritans. They have been enemies for centuries. And not just regular enemies, like they're violent with each other. There's some horrible racism that goes in. There's some horrible uh, religious persecution that goes back and forth. And it led to danger and it led to violence in a lot of ways. And if I can show you, I want to show you a map here of the way that it looks. If you can look at this, the idea of spreading through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you look down there at the bottom part, that orange part, it says Judea. And then right above that, the blue part is Samaria. And then above that is Galilee. And really, Galilee is considered kind of part of Judea. So it's kind of their home. And right in the middle of their home is Samaria. And that's the place where kind of their sworn enemies are. As a matter of fact, one of the things that would happen that they would talk about is when Jews wanted to go from Judea to Galilee, they didn't go through Samaria. They went around the outside so that they wouldn't have to step foot in it. And the Samaritans, if they were trying to go somewhere, they tried to stay out of Judea and Galilee because they didn't want to go there. Because it was dangerous. It could be violent. It was very clear. We hate you, you hate us. And we're all happy with that. And that was one of the ways that it worked. It would be like the idea of going, hey, I need to travel from here to Kansas, but I'm not going through Oklahoma. Right? I got an amen on that. We'd go around to Oklahoma just to get into Kansas, right? Is to go because I don't want to step foot in there. So that's one of the things that I'm going to do. So it's not just geographical. It's really interesting because he doesn't mention Perea. He doesn't mention the Decapolis. But he does say, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea. Okay. And I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Okay. And Samaria. What? What? Samaria? Right? That's the part that's a little bit different for them. And so I don't think his mentioning of Samaria has to do much with geographical distance as much as it has to do with ideological difference. In other words, this is Jesus going, here's the deal. I want you to go be my witnesses. I want you to start near, and I want you to go far, and I want you to go to the hardest place. I want you to go to the place where you don't think it'll work. I want you to go to the place where you have issues with them and they have issues with you. That's where I want you to go. And I think that's one of the reasons that he mentions it. Samaria 2. Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. And Samaria 2. And I can only imagine what they would have thought during that time. Because Samaria was probably the most difficult place that they could think of to go. And so I'm thinking of what goes through their mind when they hear that, right? Is, you know, again, I want you to go go Jerusalem, Judea, okay. Ends of the earth, cool, Samaria, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you understand what that is? How far do we have to go? I think that becomes the question a lot of times with disciples then and now. How far do we have to go? What borders are we going to need to cross? How uncomfortable is this going to be? How difficult is this? Do I really have to go there? I can only imagine what they would have thought of during that time is maybe this idea of when Jesus said, I want you to go to Samaria, and they went, hmm, Samaria. We've got some history with Samaria. Jesus even talked about it a little bit, right? Like one of the first things that you may think about is the idea of Samaria, Samaritans. You go, there's this famous parable, and the disciples maybe would have remembered that and pulled it up. 
because that idea of how far do we have to go, what borders do we have to cross, came up in this parable that's known as the Good Samaritan that we have that's become part of our, our culture. Even non-believers know the story of the Good Samaritan in some ways and what it means. So I want to read to you the, the first part of that. In Luke 10, verses 25 through 29, this is what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a believer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, yes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this is a guy who has the information. I can quote it. I can say it back to you. Maybe I can even say it in Greek. I need to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I need to love my neighbor as myself. And he goes, good. But then wanting to justify himself, the question comes, all right, well, who's my neighbor? Which I think really goes to that question again, how far do I have to extend this? How far do I need to go? Where's the line in this? Who's my neighbor and who's not? And the idea with this, I don't think it's so much to go, tell me who all my neighbors are, is it seems like the idea is to go, tell me who's not, so I don't have to mess with them. Tell me who's not my neighbor. Tell me how far, because we do that sometimes. How far do I need to go? You know, there was another time that somebody came even to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Like seven times? Is that it? Is that the line? Is that all I have to do? And then after that, I'm good. You and I are good. And he's like, no, no. As a matter of fact, it's 70 times 7. You've got to do so much more than that. But too often, we kind of look at that line and we go, well, let's draw the line and see how far I've got to go. How many borders do I have to cross? And how difficult a border do I have to go to? You know, as he didn't mention any other locations except for Samaria, I think about also that the disciples may have thought of all the other stories that they had in Samaria. You know, they traveled through there with Jesus. And it seems like every time they did, something pretty amazing happened. And so I wonder if they were thinking back and going, okay, Samaria. Let's think about what happened there. And so I want to bring up three different stories. And we're going to move through them kind of quick. But I want you to see what Samaria would have meant to the disciples. So there's three different stories that happened in Samaria. They all nearly always have a, a twist ending, a surprise at the end. They don't go the way that you think they're going to go. Nearly every time Jesus is involved in Samaria. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three different stories. The well, the road, and the fire. It's kind of like the line, the witch, and the wardrobe, but it's not quite as long. The well, the road, and the fire. So maybe the first thing that they thought of when they go, we got to go to Samaria, is they go, I remember when we went to Samaria before. There was a time we were with Jesus, and this one's the one about the well. And we were going to travel from Judea down south, and we were going to go to Galilee up north, and we talked about traveling through there and saying, how are we going to do this? We're going to go around, right? And Jesus goes, no, we're going right through the middle. And as a matter of fact, Jesus led them on purpose right to the middle of Samaria, and he stops at a well, and he sits down there, and then he sends his disciples off to go buy some food at the market. And he's standing there, and he's waiting purposefully to meet the Samaritan woman who happens to be at the well. I'm going to pick up in John 4, verses 7 through 10, and then I'm going to jump to 25 through 29. Just for time's sake, I'd encourage you, go back and read this whole story. But for some of this, we're going to jump around a little bit. John 4, 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then they continue the conversation, but I'm going to jump down to verse 25. This is towards the end of it. The woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This is one of the stories that had to have popped into their mind when Jesus told them, I want you to go be witnesses in Samaria. And they say, well, I remember one time we were there and this amazing encounter that happened. You need to know it was a very unusual encounter because, as we said, there's this violent hatred between the two. And so Jesus has this unusual encounter. One is that she's a Samaritan. Two is that she's a Samaritan woman, which would have been very unseemly at the time. And then finally, she's not even just a regular uh, Samaritan woman. She's one who's been outcast from her own group because of her past. So she's an outcast in every single way there is. And yet Jesus purposefully says, I'm going to cross into that place. I'm going to sit at this well where people come by, and this is the place that I'm going to talk to somebody. And not only does he have this amazing encounter, the twist in this, the amazing part of this, the twist is she becomes one of the first witnesses. She becomes one of the first witnesses to go and say, come meet this man who told me everything that I ever did and still cares about me. She became one of the witnesses. She becomes kind of a hero in the story. Now, Jesus is always the main hero in the story. But she becomes this person. She's going, I'm amazed that she was able to do that. Jesus made a point. I'm going to a place. It's a difficult place. But it's a place where people gather. It's where the hurting are going to be. And there's one woman in particular who's going to be hurting there. And I've come to meet her. And I'm going to make sure that she knows who I am. And I'm going to make sure that she knows how much I care about her. And I'm going to reach that far because that's what I came to do. And so this conversation that started talking about thirst, and then it ended up talking about spiritual thirst, and then it ended up talking about eternal life. And then she left there so excited. She couldn't wait to go tell everybody else. And she became one of the first witnesses that Jesus had. And what's amazing about it is she went to go share. She didn't have any tools. All she had was testimony. It's all she's got to be a witness. I'm just going to go run, and I'm going to tell people what Jesus did in my life. And that's what made her an effective witness. It's an amazing, amazing story. To find the marginalized, to reach out to the ones that maybe no one would have gone to. The whole thing was scandalous. That Jesus goes, that's where I'm going, and that's who I'm trying to reach. That's one story. There's another story. The road. And maybe they thought about this one. Maybe when he said, I want you to go to Samaria, they went back and they thought, I remember another time we went to Samaria. As a matter of fact, this is an interesting one. And you know this story probably, but you might not remember where it takes place. Do you remember the story of Jesus healing ten lepers and only one of them comes back and thanks him? That's a story we know a lot, but we don't always remember where that was. So this is from Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, healed. 
One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. We oftentimes forget that point. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one has returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This amazing road, this dividing line between Galilee and Samaria that I told you again was a line really that was made strong by the people, the Jews and the Samaritans. They used this road. If you're Samaritan, you don't come over here. If you're a Jew, you don't go over there. This is our dividing line, and we don't cross it. This is one of the things we're not willing to do. And you need to remember at this time, too, Jews were not evangelistic. Right? We get this idea that Jews would have constantly been trying to bring other people and make them Jewish. They didn't do that. They didn't go out to other areas and go, come be a believer and come live a kosher life and come follow the law. They didn't do that. As a matter of fact, instead, they kind of had this idea of going, look, we're the chosen people. We're the ones who God's working through. And so we're the ones that are waiting for the Messiah to come when he will help us set up the kingdom again. They weren't very evangelistic people. So this road that went right in between Samaria and Galilee, Judea, would have been the dividing line. We don't cross that. We don't go over there. Meanwhile, what you find out is as Jesus is walking down there, he comes across ten lepers. And leprosy was just this horrible disease that rotted the flesh in some way. And then you have ten of them, and we don't know. It's really interesting. You don't know how many are Jews and how many are Samaritans. It sounds like that they probably mix together. When you're an outcast, each an outcast from your own people, then where do you go? Because here's the thing. If you're a Jewish person, you couldn't stay in, Jerusalem, in Judea if you had leprosy. If you're a Samaritan person, you can't stay in Samaria if you have leprosy. So you live in this world between, between the living and the dead. In this one road that goes between the two. And then you cry out when you see Jesus. And they had this and they cried out. And they were going, Master, who will help us? It's the marginalized. It's the people that weren't reached out to. It's the people that weren't touched. You didn't get involved in things like that. And then Jesus does. And here's the twist at the end. The Samaritan's the one who comes back and gives thanks. The surprise ending again. It's the Samaritan who came back and gave thanks. And they didn't know who he was. That's the interesting thing, too. I think about this one and go, there's no way for them to have known out of those ten when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, who's Jew and who's Samaritan. There's no way to know that. But after they leave and they get cleansed, then you can see one of them comes running back and he gives thanks. And you go, this is a Samaritan. We can tell. This is the one who came back. How far should we reach? What borders should we cross to reach people? You remember Jesus, they had to remember Jesus reaching over that line and making sure that he served those who were the outcast, those who were the marginalized. Then there's another story, the fire. This one's a little bit different. Luke 9, 51 through 55. This is as Jesus was approaching. He's going through Samaria and decided he wanted to stop there. Verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The racism, you see the issues that they have. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. 
I don't think that the words do that justice, right? You got to love that idea of James and John going, stop for a second, Lord. They're not welcoming you. They don't want you there. Would you like for us to call down fire and consume them and kill them all? And it says Jesus rebuked him, but I can picture him going, no, no. We don't consume people with fire. Let's make that a rule. We're not going to consume people with fire. No, don't do that. As a matter of fact, instead, let's go to just another village, probably in Samaria, where they set up during that time. You know, I'm thankful God didn't give us the ability to consume people with fire. I don't think I'd be very responsible with that. <laughs> to be honest, there's a bunch of people probably would have been burned up for driving too slow in the left lane on the interstate. I would have... <laughs> I cannot be trusted with that. I should not have it. And they shouldn't either. Because the idea was to go, hey, these people are rejecting Jesus. Let's give them what they deserve. And here's what they deserve. Let's burn them up. Let's burn them up. Let's give them what they deserve. And the funny thing is, we look at that and we realize how ridiculous that is. And at the same time, can we not be filled with some sort of rage sometimes when we see people who reject or badmouth Christ or reject or badmouth Christians and the way that they talk and it's easy to turn into this, well, they'll get theirs. They'll get what they deserve. And if we want to be honest, there are times probably where we start wishing that they would. And we kind of hope what would happen is justice will come and the right thing will happen. You turn your back on Jesus. You want to talk, talk bad about Christ. You want to talk bad about Christians. Eventually, you're going to get what you deserve. And the fact is, that's not who Jesus was in any way. If you think about it, as you go through the book of Acts, most of the conversions and the people that came to Christ usually happened when they were dealing with people that were mistreating them. Think about that. Jailers, centurions, Jewish leaders who were threatening to kill you. Those are usually the people that ended up coming to Christ. It came in the hardship. It came in the places where you go, well, they're not being very nice to us. And you go, yeah, I know, but this is who I want you to be witness to. But they hate us. I know, but this is who I want you to be witness to. But they don't care about us at all. I know. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go because this is where I do my most amazing work. This is where God makes miracles happen. With the outcast, with the forgotten, with the people that you would never think you're going to go to. So let's go back to the story of the Samaritan. All I did was give you the first part, right? The parable of the Samaritan at the beginning. He's asking, how far do we need to go? How far do I have to go to reach a neighbor? And really what I want to know is, who's not my neighbor so that I don't have to reach that far? I really want to know what that is. How many borders do I have to cross? And if you recall during that story, the whole idea is that there was a man and he was traveling from uh, the, this road down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he gets attacked and he gets beaten and he's bloody and he's almost dead and he's naked. And then people come by and a priest, a religious man comes by and he just passes him on by. And then a Levite comes and he just passes him on by. And you end up with the Samaritan being the hero of the story, the one who stopped and who helped him. Verse 36, back in Luke 10, says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. 
You know, it's really interesting. The priest and the Levite, we really give a hard time to. And we look at them and they go, that's just awful. That's just horrible. But you need to know that really they're making a logical and strategic move. They're coming across someone. I want you to think about this for a second. A priest who came across somebody he does not know, who's beaten and bloody on the ground. Now, one of the things you need to know is if I'm a priest, one of the ways that I know who you are is by the way you dress and the way you talk. As a matter of fact, that's how I would know if you're a Samaritan or a Jew. If you're dressed in Jewish clothes, if you're dressed in Samaritan clothes, if you have a Jewish accent, if you have a Samaritan accent, that's the way I would know. This man is unconscious, bloody, and naked. All of the ways that you would know who he is, it's taken away. You don't have any of that. But if you're a priest, one of the things that you're driven by is this idea of cleanliness. I have to remain ceremonially clean. And here's the deal. If you're a Samaritan and I come and I touch you, I'm unclean. And if you're dead and I come and I touch you, I'm unclean. And then I can't perform the duties that I'm supposed to have as a priest. I can't do that. I can't do what I feel like I've been called to do in my religion. And the Levites the same way. So it's a strategic move to go, I'm kind of going to stay up here where I'm righteous and where I'm clean, and I'm going to pass on by. Because to get down here and to come and to get involved and to touch this person could make me unclean and could take me out of my role in my religion. It could take me out of my standing in my religion. And I'm not willing to cross that border. I'm not willing to reach that far. I'm not willing to go there in that way. My holiness requires me to fly over him and not get involved. It could spoil my religious standing. And I'm unclean, and then what happens to my righteousness then? If I get involved with somebody I'm not supposed to. It's really funny to me because originally in the story of the Good Samaritan, The man is trying to justify himself, and he goes, who out there is my neighbor? And really what happens at the end is Jesus turns it around and goes, who should be a neighbor? What does it mean for you to be a neighbor? You want me to draw a line over who you have to reach out to and who you don't. What I'm doing is drawing a big line around me and going, it looks like this for you to be a neighbor. You reach this far. You do this much. You got to cross any border in any way. And the interesting thing about that is really when you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, I don't think Jesus is telling the story to go, hey, Samaritans are great people and look at what they do and they're wonderful. I think he's trying to break down a barrier. But I'll tell you more than anything, I think Jesus is going, I'm like the Samaritan. The Samaritan's like me. This is what I do. I think Jesus is the Samaritan in the story. I think he's the one that goes, who will stoop down and become unclean and reach across and serve their enemy? Jesus goes, that's me. That's what I do. I come and I come for the the one who calls me an enemy, the one who's been an enemy to me. He's the God who's willing to get unclean. That's the whole point. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, there were many times he touched lepers. He talked to the woman at the well. If he had taken a drink for her, Jesus was constantly entering into this time where he would have been ceremonially unclean. The God who's willing to get unclean to make sure he reaches across any border, to make sure that he reaches the outcast and those that have been marginalized. I'll go anywhere. And I think with that as well, him kind of being in the role of the Samaritan in this story, he even talks about the priest came and passed on by, the Levite came. Religion can't save you, Jesus is saying. Only I can. 
This trying to remain righteous and trying to remain clean through your own actions will not save you. Only I can do that when I stoop down, when I leave the throne of heaven and I come into this world that is unclean and I make sure that I get involved with the people, no matter who they are, the woman at the well, the leper, no matter who it is. And there's this, there's this neat part in the story. One of the things that it says is that the Samaritan saw the man that was naked and beaten and on the road. And it said that he took pity on him. Now, you need to know that take pity, it's not your normal just pity word. It's a special uh, Greek word, um, splachnizomai. Splachnizomai is what it's called. And you need to know what that actually means is to be moved as to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion and have compassion, for the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. In other words, he was moved right down to the guts of who he was. Right down to the point where he had to do something. This word is only used to describe God, to describe Jesus, or the one who's like God and Jesus in any of the parables. In other words, when there's a parable of a king, that you know the, one, the, the king who had the, the guy that came and he owed 10,000 talents and he asked for forgiveness, and he says the king was moved. This is the word. He was moved. And in every case, it is a story of Jesus or God the Father being, being filled so much at his inner being that he had to do something. He had to do something. He had to move. Feel so much pity and so much love that I had to move. And that's what's happening in this story. That's why I think when you look at this more than anything, I think Jesus is going, I'm like the Samaritan in this one. This is what I do. All of these things that happen in Samaria, all of these stories, I think we're constantly a reminder of how far will Jesus reach? How far does his reach go? Which means... That the question comes to us when he says, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. How far are we willing to go? How far does our reach go? Who's our neighbor? What does it mean for us to act in a neighborly way? What lengths should we be willing to go to to reach people, to be witnesses for them? That's the whole story of the incarnation is about Jesus coming all the way from heaven to enter this world to make sure that we know it doesn't matter how marginalized you are, it doesn't matter how left out you are. It doesn't matter how much you've been overlooked that Christ will come to you. We're supposed to go to places like the road to Jericho. We're supposed to go to those places that walk between the living and the dead over there in Judea and in Samaria. We're supposed to go to places like the well. This is what we've been called to do. This is our assignment. And this is how we go about it. I remember working with a church at one point, and they decided that they were going to go move into a rough area of town in Austin. And they really felt like God had called them into this area. And they go, we need to go over here, and we need to serve, and we need to become involved. As a matter of fact, we're going to ask some of our people to move in over there and to become a part of that community. And then somebody, I remember, uh, went and talked to some of the police officers, and they said, man, you don't want to do that. Do you know what that area is called? Do you know what has a nickname? That part of Austin has got a nickname. It's called Malvida. You know what that means? Somebody translate. Bad life. Bad life. That part of town is called bad life. You don't want to go there. And then I remember one of my favorite elders, one of the older guys standing up and going, excuse me, that's exactly where people of Christ should be. That's where we go 
We go to places that are that dark. We go to places that have been called Malvida because what we do is we bring witness of what Christ has done. He takes dead, dry bones and he makes them alive again. That's what we do. That's why when Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea. You start where you are. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. You do mission work all over the world. But you don't forget, you go to Samaria. You go to the places that you don't think you want to go, to the places you don't think will listen, that you don't think will welcome you. And we don't go with the fire to consume in that way. We go with Holy Spirit fire. And we go with the witness of who Christ is. That's who we are. That's why, I'll tell you, part of our, our vision team is out right now and we're talking to different people. We're talking to the mayor and like I said, we're talking to the superintendent of schools and we're talking to the leaders uh, at the hospital and we're talking to all these different people because we're out asking, who's being overlooked? Who's falling through the cracks? Who are the hurting people? Where's the well? Where's the road? Where's the people here in our town that are being overlooked that we need to make sure we are reaching across the line for? These are the people that we need to be reaching for and this is what we are going to do because that's what Jesus did when he came. I mean, you can imagine, he just kind of walked into the world and goes, where's the demoniac? Where's the leper? Where's the foreigner? Where's the tax collector? Where's the sinner? Take me to them. That's where I'm going. Make sure no one thinks that they are beyond my reach. No one is too far for me to reach across. There's no border I won't cross. There's no place I won't go to be a witness for Christ. Jesus was different in that he didn't say, what will happen to me if I go there? Instead, he said, what will happen to them if I don't? And that needs to be our mindset. We got response cards out there. This is one of the things I'd like for you to take a moment to do today, if you would. This is another way for us to gather some information, for us to have some things to pray over. Who should we be reaching out to that's been overlooked in our community? Who's the marginalized? Who's the people that have been overlooked? Where are the hurting who are these folks? How can we reach out to them? I'd love for you to take a moment, if you would, as we sing a couple of songs, write something on there if you think about it, who that might be. Then you just kind of hold it up, and we'll have some folks come by and get those from you, and we're going to pray over these as a church, and we're going to collect these and make this part of our, our time as a, a vision team as we look at things here. We'll report back to you on this. And then finally, I want to tell you, too, if you are with us today, and you haven't made the step to belong to Christ, and I know you're sitting here listening to us talk about how we want to come tell you, how we want to come witness to you, how we want you to know what it means to belong to Christ. I want to tell you, we would love nothing more than to introduce you to him. We would love nothing more than for you to make that step and to go, that's who I want to belong to. There is nothing more important to us than people deciding that what they want to do is they want to belong to Christ and take that step. As a matter of fact, here in just a few minutes, the Lord's blessed us. We're going to have a baptism this morning. You're going to see a young lady who has said, I want to come and I'm ready to belong to Christ. I'm ready for him to save me. I want him to make me new. I want to be a new person. And I want to live that life through him. And you're going to get to witness that. We would love to tell you about that too. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be right back there and you can come find me as soon as the sermon's over and I will tell you all about it. The water's already ready. We would love to let you make that decision and baptize you into Christ and let you walk in newness of life. Let's pray, and then uh, I'm going to ask if you would take a moment to write on that card, and we'll spend a few songs in worship. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for that challenge to go to Samaria. Lord, we're grateful that you went first. You went to Samaria. 
You met the woman at the well. You went and you found the lepers. You found those that were hurting and those that were marginalized and those that are on the outside. And you did not worry about it ruining your righteousness or ruining your holiness. Instead, all it did was spread your righteousness and holiness to more people. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and that we would be reminded always of how far we can reach because you're with us, because we've been blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and that you would give us the boldness to be like you in the way that we reach out to other people. Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here tonight, today, who might be feeling like they are ready to take that step, that they would realize that there is nothing that they could have done that makes it too far for you to reach to them and that you are calling them home in every way. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for your love. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.